The sooner we realize that the best way to change someone else's behavior is to change our behavior first, once we get into that mindset, we actually have a lot of ways that we can do this. Welcome to the Optimalist Podcast, where we have set out to examine the higher order capabilities that we need to build an optimal future with AI. I am Sarah, your host through this exploration of the elements of human flourishing. So let's figure out together how we cultivate them. This week, let's put our hands together for Lainey Rowell. I have Lainey on the show today. She is a best-selling author, award-winning educator, and TEDx speaker, and she is the first person to be recommended three times by previous guests. So it was about time. And also, you can definitely say that she is infiltrated and adored throughout this community before even stepping up to the microphone. Much like we are here at The Optimalist, Lainey is also dedicated to human flourishing, focusing on community building, social emotional learning, and honoring what makes each of us unique and dynamic through learner-driven design. Her client list ranges from Fortune 100 companies like Apple and Google to public school districts and independent schools. Lainey is the author of Evolving with Gratitude, the lead author of Evolving Learner, and the contributing author of Because of a Teacher. Her latest book, Bold Gratitude, the journal designed for you and by you, is an innovative and interactive gratitude journal that empowers individuals of all ages to embrace their unique preferences and express gratitude in their own way. There is no reason for me to hold back in saying that I hope you welcome the flourishing after listening to today's Optimalist. You use the word flourish and flourishing a lot with this podcast. So glad you brought that up. It's Mm -hmm. actually like one of my absolute favorite words. And yeah, so a lot of people don't know this about me. I was actually a psychology major. And uh, it was my placement into a school as part of my hours for my mm-hmm. service hours that I ended up getting to fall in love with being an educator. And But I always really had this passion for psychology. And I brought that into my classroom, always really focused on a positive learning community and classroom meetings and what were all these ways that I could just like lavish the kids with positive reinforcement and praise. And when I say praise, I mean that in the sense of the literature, not as in vapid praise, but like Mm -hmm. concrete, specific, authentic ways that I see the good in you. Like I always want kids and adults to know that, that I see the good in them. And that became a huge part of what I did as an educator. I had at one point thought I would go into being a special ed teacher. And I actually came across technology as a way to meet the needs of diverse learners. And so that was a road that I spent a lot of time going down. I worked for Apple for a number of years. And just really trying to think about how do we honor how everyone is so unique and dynamic. And I really found technology to be a way to meet the needs of those unique and dynamic, both kids and adults. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, fast forward and we have the pandemic happen and that was really hard for everyone. Obviously for me, I tend to, I'm working on it, but I can catastrophize like nobody's business and I'm a worrier. Mm-hmm. And so I was very stressed and, and for, for people listening, I am a full-time consultant. So I'm going into schools, going into classrooms all the time. That is how I have my income. Mm-hmm. And within like 36 hours, I had three months of income just gone and it was really, really right. stressful. Like there was no, there was no, <laughs> No paycheck going to come in, right? And no way to really, yeah, nothing to really do to make up for that, right? There's no digitizing that because people aren't in the school. Yeah. Really. (laughs) So it just so happened I did have a very long, many years experience in online learning. Mm -hmm. So I pivoted and I started focusing on how can I support teachers and administrators, whatever the, the educator's role is, how can I support them in what we need to do right now? And so that was a really big part of it. 
And then really more on a personal level, this is kind of where I got back to my psychology roots. And I came across this Laura Kelly Finucci poem. I never do it justice, but it's like mm-hmm. when this is over, full shelves at the store, handshakes with neighbors, you know, things that we were missing. And it was to me a real wake up call that like, yes, this is like truly sucking right now. And this is the hardest time in my life. Mm -hmm. But there's actually things that I not only took for granted back then, but also things I'm going to take for granted right now if I don't stop and pay attention. I'm at home with my kids and my husband and we're safe. Mm -hmm. And we have paper products. We have frozen food we can eat. We are, we are, we are not in danger right now. And I need to savor that we're getting some, some unique quality time together. So that's kind of like what led me down the road. This is all very long, long. That's fine. To keep your going. <laughs> I, tr- try to keep me from talking as much as possible because then I just won't stop. <laughs> just keep going. See, that's that's the thing that <laughs> podcast hosts always try to do is be talking the least. But no, I want to I want to hear your thoughts on this too because so like I said, there were there were a series of things that happened that really started pointing me in the direction of gratitude. And so I have been very focused on gratitude in the last few years. I've written a book and uh, partnered up with a lifelong friend, Allison Liu, and we just put out the Bold Gratitude Journal. And so really trying to see, because again, I love that you use the word flourishing, because to me, that is just the ultimate. That is not Mm -hmm. just getting by, not just surviving when we're flourishing, we are living this beautiful, fulfilling life. And that's what I want. And to me, I found gratitude to be a pathway to that. I'm so glad that the first thing that you mentioned was the word flourishing before anything else, because it was right before I came into this into this recording, it was the word that I took from the information that you had sent me. And I put it right into my notes. And I'm like, oh my goodness, like... We are going to just totally, just totally blossom from there because, and I don't know that I've had a guest that's put that in, that has come in here yet with that as being at the forefront of what they do and think about and drive all of the stuff that you choose to work on. But we specifically say we want to try to cultivate, how do we cultivate human flourishing? Because, you know, we're thinking of all of this important work that we're doing to try to talk about what causes us to be creative, curious, motivated, grateful, uh, and and so many things that we could list, but what drives us forward in an age where we could easily kind of have some something else do it for us, um, or we don't have to try as hard as maybe we would have, you know, 30 years ago, we can get away and not flourish. Like we can literally slide by not doing very much of anything that makes us really fully enjoy being a human and being with other people and prioritizing what's in front of us and being present with like a conversation like this or having dinner with friends. It is so interesting to think about what it is that we need. And so that's like part of what what drives the work that we're doing at The Optimalist and with Engageable is like, what do we need to be personally engaged as an individual with the life right in front of us. So as we move into the future now with, you know, the realities of AI encroaching upon our lives, like how do we move into that reality, accepting it, adapting to it, and but realizing that there is this unique human skill that we have that we're going to have to really evolve? Yeah. Well, I think it's never been easier to live a distracted life. Mm-hmm. That's a reality of where we are. And so to me, part of what brought me to focusing so much on gratitude is that gratitude practices are really mindfulness practices. They're about being present. They're about truly honoring and appreciating mm-hmm. what you have. It could be what you had in the past or what you look forward to the future. For me, I, it's hardest to focus on the present. So that's where I try and really focus. And so for me, one of the things I love the practice of savoring. And a lot of people think of savoring as having to do with food. And definitely we should savor our food. Yep. (laughs) It can be, Mm -hmm. but it can be so much more. It can be savoring 
a cup of coffee. It can be savoring a sunset. It could be savoring a conversation with a friend where you're truly present and listening. There's pretty much anything we can savor. And to me, that practice is a way of combating that defaulting to living a distracted life. Even if you take it to the common one that people think about with food, it's like, mm -hmm. enjoy your meal. Don't be looking at social media while you're eating your food. Really savor what you have in front of you. It's costing you calories, so you might as well enjoy it. Yeah. And you think of like, you get to the end of a week, it could be any week, and you could ask somebody like, tell me five meals you ate this week. And there are so many, even people I know that like I love food and trying food and different like so many people that I know who who would say that they love food and tasting things if you ask them about a week in their life very often the language we use to describe things like meals is now like oh I just did this because I had this to get to or I just you know oh I didn't think about it I couldn't think about it because it was a Tuesday like and it's not just that we're doing that when we actually are busy, it became, it's, it's not even a busy thing anymore. It's a, I'm not even rushing off to anything. I'm just treating every, everything I do like it's not important. And it's, it's because we have all of those other little things that we're letting be important or we're letting take over. But then we don't have any problem with, or we don't think twice about the fact that we just ate up 45 minutes of our time on Instagram. And that's not savoring anything. Um, and the idea of then putting that down and sitting for really it could be 15 minutes of dinner, 20 minutes of a meal. And it's, and it's more, way more meaningful. A hundred percent. So I really love, there's this quote from Cassie Holmes. She wrote the book, Happier Hour. Mm. And she says, the real answer is not about being time rich. It's about making the time you have rich. And to me, that really drives home this idea of gratitude and savoring. And it's like, we get 24 hours in a day. We get it. It's mm -hmm. that's a gift. And so how we spend it. And I just try and be super intentional with my time. I'm not perfect. I am so far from perfect. It's absurd. But <laughs> I'm just really trying very hard to not live a distracted life. And so when you said, what have you, you know, what have I been focusing on? I'm writing a ton. And I recently got invited to write for Ariana Huffington's Thrive Global. Oh, awesome. So cool. And it's really, really cool because for me, writing is a way of reflecting and really focusing, honing in on what do I need to be doing to live a life where I feel fulfilled, where I'm flourishing. And so I'm really focusing in on these topics like, okay, how do we strengthen relationships? How do we improve our well-being? You know, how do I continuously improve? And so I'm really trying to focus on, again, gratitude is the prism that I see everything through. That's where mm -hmm. I am right now. That's, to me, the way that I can frame things that makes my priorities line up with my values, you know, makes, makes me prioritize the things that I value. And mm -hmm. so that's what I'm really trying to do. I'm focusing on how can I nurture relationships, improve well-being, and continuously improve, and hopefully make this world a better place. How does that map into then, um, is it mainly through writing how all of those values that are evolving map into how people see the work that you're doing? Is it mostly coming out when people read what you're writing? Is it is it in your consulting? Um, is it everything? I hope it's everything. I mean, <laughs> I am so blessed that I get to speak and professional learning and writing are my two big things. So that's what I spend the vast majority of my time doing. And so this is where I'm not sure when this episode will come out, but we're recording in September. I just came off of, I mean, so much time with educators that I cherish because I'm getting to see them maybe at the end of their school year as they're getting ready to decompress and head into some much needed rest and relaxation. Hopefully they keep that throughout the year too, but you know, that concentrated summertime when they get that. And then also getting to do things like convocations and mm. keynotes where 
hopefully setting the tone of this is how we can lead a fulfilling life. This is how we can flourish as humans and also how we can bring that into our learning communities. Obviously, we want to bring this to our kids and to their peers as well. Yeah. And a concern that I'm always thinking about different ways to discuss with people, um, how do we talk to, so say you're starting your conversations are with educators and people who work in and around school communities. And so how do you start with this group of people, but have them take these values, like they have to believe them and work them into their own individual life and self, bring them to their classrooms, to individual classrooms, to a larger community. And then beyond that, like for some people, this stuff starts at home and then they bring it into their work life. It's such a puzzle. This is why I say like, how do we cultivate all of this? So I say that at the beginning of every episode, because it's such a puzzle. How do we get more and more people to realize that it's not just something you do at work, being mindful of your time, being mindful of others, being mindful of how you connect to people. It's a continuous 24-hour cycle of time. Like You need routines that make mindful living something that doesn't even need a label anymore because we're just so intentional about how we, I like to say, spend our attention too, because it is something mm. that people and things literally steal from us. And we we can choose to spend it. We just have lost the ability to see that we have that control. I really appreciate how you're talking about these things happen personally and professionally, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a frequent contributor to Edutopia. One of the nicest compliments my editor ever gave me was that while I'm writing for educators, it's actually stuff that applies to everyone. That's oh, a huge awesome. compliment to me because mm -hmm. it is things that when we're talking about, and here's one of the things I tell educators right off the bat when I'm talking about gratitude, I go, let's talk specifically about praise. There is a magic ratio for stronger relationships and encouraging and motivating for improvement. Now, spoiler alert, the scientists don't actually agree on this ratio, <laughs> but I was taught six to one, six positives for every one negative or to okay. say it better, note for improvement. You could say five to one, four to one, the experts don't agree, like I said, but the sooner we realize that the best way to change someone else's behavior is to change our behavior first, once we get into that mindset, we actually have a lot of ways that we can do this. And mm. so the praise to correction ratio is one of the first things I start with, because you can do this personally, you can do this professionally. And by the way, that magic ratio is not specific to learning communities. It's business relationships, it's romantic relationships, family relationships, test it out somewhere else. If there's someone that you're in friction with, think about your ratio. And most likely, it's probably skewed the opposite way that it should be. Mm -hmm. And that's just how we are. We have a negativity bias. That's our preloaded yep. as humans. That's part of our operating system. So we have to be super intentional. We have to really focus on, okay, I need to authentically and specifically give love. <laughs> and it might be in different ways. It could be in compliments. It could yeah. be, you know, there's, there's a lot of different, it could be, you know, if you want to think about the love languages, acts of kindness, whatever it is, there's a lot of nonverbals too, but we have to really pour into people because that ratio makes all the difference. And it's not easy. I won't lie. It's not easy, but if you can pick one person it makes a huge, huge difference. So it's the magic ratio for stronger relationships. And it translates to learning too. If you think about writing for a student, it's like, what are you trying to focus on for improvement? You could be very specific in that feedback and then make sure to find all the things. Great word choice here. Oh, I mm. love this sentence. Great hook. Like all the things that truly they're doing well. And then be really strategic about when you're saying, do this. Because the reality is we cannot fix a million things at once anyways. Right. What are you course. really wanting them to work on? Right. And I think it's when you do open up that scope of focus and realize, oh, wait, there are like so many awesome things going on here. Why am I not actually not just making myself find them, 
because I have to, but realizing that there's so much good that this person is doing or that this situation is presenting and there's always going to be improvement. And I also wanted to say, if you're a reflective person who is consistently working on their self-awareness, it should be that you are you know, increasingly aware of how you're projecting your own, right? Are you a model of, of what you're looking for in others? Are you a model? And it, that also could be so many situations. And are you a model in your personal relationships, in your classroom? Like whatever you're looking for, you know, are people also looking to you and not having to say, well, are they, are they also, do they know what they're talking? Cause you know, you, you don't need to be an expert. You just need to be someone who is obviously believing in what it is that you're, that you're talking about. hundred percent. And when I started focusing on gratitude, I started looking for gratitude mentors who is doing this beautifully in a way that also resonates with me that I could not just copy, but take it and make it my own. Right. One of the things that I just feel like I learn over and over and over again is how unique and dynamic everyone is and how when I find something that works for me, I will show it in a way that's working for me. But I also want to give people permission and encouragement to do it in a way that's going to work for them. This is how Mm -hmm. expressing gratitude works for me. This is how it might work for you. And that's something that's really, really important. And that's why, you know, Bold Gratitude, the journal came out like a year after Mm -hmm. evolving with gratitude. And that was because I really wanted to offer something that shows that there's so many different ways to experience and express gratitude. And is the gratitude conversation um, and that kind of work, is that the main way that you are introducing or connecting with educators on how to be more mindful and intentional? Is it through starting with gratitude? I do start with gratitude. It is the umbrella Mm -hmm. that a lot of the other things that we want to have happen fall under. So it is an entry point. I also feel like gratitude, if we think about things like awe and wonder, really being grateful for the things around us is a gateway to wanting to learn about them. And so a lot of times we get straight into, well, here's what we're going to learn about today. I'm guilty of this. Mm -hmm. Really, I want to encourage people to actually be grateful for what we're about to learn about. Like, what, what is the value of this? You know, and there's so many ways to do that. I could go in a million different directions for that. But (laughs) I like to promote inquiry-based learning. And so part of that is, you know, here's why maybe I'm grateful for plants. Why are you grateful for plants? I'm picking something very basic. Like right, right. We're, talking, <laughs> we're studying in early elementary. But there, but I've also heard Dr. Carrie Howells, who has studied the science of gratitude, and she was teaching optometrist students, hmm. like studying to be eye doctors, who had never considered why they should be grateful for their eyes. Right. We, I mean, like you get to that level, you're dedicating your life to being an eye doctor. It's such a simple question too, right? As soon as you said it, I'm like, oh, wow, that's, I would love to hear what, what doctors would say about that. Um, it's so simple. Like it's going in a different direction, but it's going through the direction of talking about gratitude, but it's really asking you to think about why you're doing something as well without just saying, well, why do you want to be X, Y, Z, or why do you do X, Y, Z? Because if you, like you're saying, asking like, why are we, why are we grateful for having sight and vision? Because that should connect directly to the purpose of why you're doing what you're doing, which is intentionality. And I, yeah, I mean, all of these things go back. I'm like drawing a little map over here as we talk to things. It's like, it's the flourishing map. Maybe I'll take a picture of it and post it with this episode. My flourishing map. It's the map of this conversation. (laughs) of arrows goes from flourishing to gratitude to AI. I don't know how that just, (laughs) and then it branches out from there. I I do want to say as someone who, again, I, I worked for Apple. I was actually in the room when Steve Jobs announced the iPhone. Oh, wow. Cool. I mean, there was like 10,000 other people, but I felt special, but you were one of them. (laughs) And to think back on how we have evolved since that time, mm-hmm. because that was a time where if, I mean, 
I was walking into Macworld where he made the announcement with a trio in my pocket. If anyone can go back in their memory I for that, I remember that. I know it had buttons for a keyboard. I mean, I know what's a keyboard. <laughs> Friends, ask your grandparents about this. But trio, it, but it had a little stylus. If you remember, oh, okay. I mean, like we're going deep here, friends. I mean, can you imagine those days when we used to carry that around, like I know. a device with multiple parts? <laughs> it's so crazy. It's bananas, friends. I mean, <laughs> some of you weren't around for this, but it was hard. It was mm-hmm. like my dad carrying his sibling on his shoulders, walking ten miles to school in the yes. snow. It was hard. <laughs> it was not an easy time. Anyways, I think. I actually have a series coming up that I'm writing about navigating, coping, and thriving in a digital world because it is part of this distracted living. And how do we focus? There's some really great stuff out there. I will I will point to one of my favorite frameworks for thinking about how to be more intentional with my time with devices and maybe even particularly social media, because that to me is a bigger trigger, mm-hmm. is by Catherine Price, the author of How to Break Up with Your Phone. Mm-hmm. And she calls it the WWW approach. So the first one is what for? Ask yourself, why are you engaging at, at the moment? Ideally, it's things like connection, inspiration, learning. But let's be honest, sometimes we're just killing time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe there's not a good what for, right? Why now? Like, what triggered me to reach for that phone? Was it that a certain time of day triggers it? Was it being uncomfortable? Was it boredom? You know, and then what else? And this one is really big to me. What else could I be doing right now? Like, what opportunities am I missing out on if I reach for that phone? And so that framework has been really helpful in making me a a little more mindful. And I will also say that I am really big on all of my notifications are off. Now, let me just tell you this. This can be challenging because when my husband is at the grocery store, God bless him for being there in the first place. (laughs) And he's asking, like, do we need this? And I don't see it until he walks in the door and says, did you see my text? <laughs> That's a little frustrating. So, yeah. And I would, I would have to, you know, be available if my kids are somewhere and I need to be, you know, able to get to them fast if I need to. But it's so funny though, because like even just 15 years ago, we would have just made the grocery list first, right? Mm-hmm. Now we don't even rely on our own selves. Like we all do it. And we're like, we just leave and like, oh, I'll just call her. If I have a question and it's just taken for granted because we can, we can't, we don't have to do, I don't know. It's just so funny. Like the things that we think about that we're not even, that almost fall into this inconvenience now. But I was at this conference a couple of weeks ago. I went to a student mental wellness conference. It was just right down here in Anaheim. And it was one of the best things I've been to in a long time because it was all school counselors and psychologists and people like way outside of of the groups of educators that I'm usually that we're usually around at conferences it was a very different type of environment and so we got to see people speak that were working in exactly what we're talking about here like how to, and it was a lot of it was called student wellness but it was really could have been split 50-50 teacher wellness student wellness it was really all the same and that's what i loved one of the things i loved was that it was about coming together adults and students coming together and thinking about how we can do this together and how we can work towards this more mindful future but what we're talking, what you're mentioning here, even just this grocery store example and like turning off notifications and being aware of, of all of these things, these distractions. One, one of the people we saw speak was an author. Um, actually I have the book here. Do you know this book? Dopamine Nation. Yes. I love okay. Dopamine Nation. I that hope you did, really but we one. saw her speak for like an hour and it was amazing. And one of the things that she talked about was this idea of having like imagine um, a fifth grader, you know, it could be anybody, but think of a middle school student who, who agrees to 
abstain from their device, their personal device. Like if they have to use things in school, in the classroom, that's fine. That's fine. But they can't use their device. And so they, she says to, to really break that cycle. And this is for anybody, but she was using a student as an example to break that cycle. It's going to take you 30 days to get, to literally regulate your nervous system back to where it should be. And so you have this kid saying, and and kids are like enthusiastically raising their hands and saying, yes, I want, give me a reason to not have this in my pocket. But the problem is when you have that one person saying yes to the real life experience of being in the now, they then walk out their front door and go down the street to the park and say, where are all the other kids? So we bring in that loneliness factor that is this big question mark with with technology right now is how do we how do we encourage what we want that we know is going to bring this crucial element for for human flourishing in a digital world but how do we do it where those who are finding the value especially young people are also able to meet and connect with others in the world like i mean that was like the room went silent when she said that like you know, that kid walks to the playground and says out loud to his mother, where are the other kids? And so then how do you have that one person choose what's going to be best for him when all of the other people are not in that space? Where is he going to be less lonely and more likely to flourish? It's such such a crazy situation. Well, and that social contagion is real. And so mm-hmm. when we have people who even say, just sitting next to someone, I'm choosing not to look at my phone, and they're sitting next to someone who is grabbing for their phone, then the natural reaction is to grab for your phone too. Yep. That's just that's just how it is. So I would say one of the things that schools can look to do is obviously we're modeling this, but also... Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence has what's called Inspire Ed. It is a student-run SEL program where students are the advocates. And I think that a lot of our really big challenges in schools can be solved when we bring kids into the conversation, but also give them the opportunity to take the lead on things. I cannot know what it is like to be a 14-year-old on social media right now. I'm right. not there. I, 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 thankfully, I grew up without <laughs> everyone capturing everything I did. I made a lot of yeah. stupid choices and no one documented it. I'm very exactly. grateful for that. <laughs> so I really love this model of Inspire Ed. And I think that whether people bring something like that in or some adaptation of it, but something where we bring kids into roles where we empower them to lead these things for not only other kids, but for adults too. And so professional learning can happen with and from kids. And I think that that's a really important thing. I'm constantly asking, I have my own little focus group in my house because I have a 10-year-old and an almost 13-year-old, and I'm constantly Mm -hmm. trying to ask them questions. Well, what's happening here? Why is this happening? I mean, my kids are probably thoroughly annoyed, and I'm easily (laughs) the the most obnoxious parent in their friend group. But (laughs) I'm just wanting to like really understand what is it like being them because I don't know. And so... I know things like I know the WWW approach. I know that I can turn off my notifications, have my phone on mute all the time, Mm -hmm. put the device in another room. I know all of these things and that works for me. But I also have to be aware of, well, I'm not a tween and I don't get isolated from the group if I miss a text or two. Mm -hmm. But that's my daughter's reality, that could be a challenge. I'm not saying she does get isolated in case anyone hears this. No, but that is, I, you did say that in a, in a way that does capture in the simplest form, that is what they are facing, right? It's if I don't respond to just these two things, literally a world passes them by in a snap. Like yeah. it moves so fast and we didn't experience that kind of. And I, w- I want to be so clear that I see so much good in technology. 
Mm-hmm. So much good. I see it as the way to make connections, to get inspired, to teach and to learn. Mm-hmm. There's so, so much good in it. I just want to be really, really intentional with it. And even, you know, Apple CEO Tim Cook, he made a comment. Uh, he was on CBS News and he said, we made the phone not so that you're using it all the time. We made the phone to make your life better. And then he goes on to talk about how his simple rules, if he's looking at the device more than he's looking into someone's eyes, he's doing something wrong. And so that's for for him. And I think that's important. But I also want to acknowledge like the world that my kids live in and what their realities are. And so I'm trying to find like, okay, I know these are good things, but I have to also understand this is what it's like for what they're doing in their in their friend group. You know, and there's also something to be said for being easier on ourselves as far as like, if we even take your household as one example of what so many households are going through. Um, and, you know, no matter what the ages of the kids that are living with you, you're going through, it's like this whirlwind of the unknown, like they're, they're having one experience, you're having another, but both experiences are kind of confusing. Like none of us know what's coming. None of us know how this is going to affect us in 20 years. Like it, it's, we're all just as confused and just as kind of vulnerable to whatever is, whatever winds up in our, in our hands. Like we, we have to be that intentionality. And I think kids get that these days in a way that they didn't like 10 or 15 years ago when all of this was new to all of us. But I think they understand a little bit more when they see people. Um, and I hear these stories from people doing this in classrooms as well now, like, uh, you know, experiments with with keeping phones in in certain places for certain amounts of time. But like they do see that if adults in their lives are being intentional, that it, they understand why. I think this is kind of like a great way to bring the conversation back to something you mentioned right at the beginning, which might be a great a great way to begin to wrap up here. But at the beginning of our conversation, when you First, we're talking about flourishing and 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 some of the things that that led to your path towards what you're working, you know, spending so much of your time working on now. You mentioned discovering, and I'm just going to say maybe falling in love with technology as part of as really part of the the growth that you saw happening in in schools and the way people were teaching and learning. So, has your relationship and approach to talking about technology changed? From that from that time to now, well, I'll tell you what's the same for sure. I still always want to lead, and I don't know if I did that today, but I I would like to lead with the opportunities that technology offers us. That's not to ignore the mm-hmm. potential pitfalls and challenges, but there is so much good that technology provides. And I just think about I'm someone who I like to design learning experiences that are universally designed. Actually, even the Bold Gratitude Journal is universally designed. You don't have to write it. You could record it with audio. You could do a video. There's so many different ways that we can have, you know, we have this goal of, I want to experience or express gratitude or something specific to curriculum. But there's so many different ways to get there. And technology is a really powerful tool to bring everyone into the conversation, bring everyone into the learning so that they are having these, okay, I can engage with it this way. Okay, I can experience this. There's just so many more opportunities for learners of all ages when we bring technology in in intentional ways. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I think it does um, because we're we're bringing intentionality more and more into the into all of the work that we're doing, but at the same time, uh, I think it, it in no realm is it more important than thinking about the tools that we're using and the technology that we're using, and it's just getting more and more complex. <laughs> so, I think we can feel overwhelmed because there's so many tools and so many options. It's that paradox of choice, and so. One of the things I have to give myself permission to do is to not do it all and to, Mm -hmm. this is the tool I'm going to focus on right now. This is the strategy I'm going to focus on right now because it's just too much to do it all well. It's just not possible. And now with AI allowing us to move a lot faster, I'm actually taking moments of pause and being like, 
I need to slow down here because just yeah. because this is going fast doesn't mean it's going well. Exactly. I think that's such a great note to leave educators listening to this with today is just in in, in all respects, anything that you're being challenged to um, get on top of or think you have to get ahead of in this realm, we all have to pause and slow down because it, it's not any single person's sole responsibility to be right? To be pushing the latest thing all the time and to be an expert at it. I think we feel when something is new, we immediately have to learn everything and be, you know, and be the one modeling, modeling the best practices immediately. And it's just not possible anymore because if we are talking about AI, it's, it's changing faster than you will be able to do that. And holding ourselves way too strictly accountable for that, I think is harming the way we think about what we're capable of and we're capable of so much flourishing, I think you would say. I, I love that. I love that. And again, I'll go back to what I mentioned earlier. I think kids are a huge part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite visits that I did, oh my gosh, probably two decades ago, maybe now, I don't know, I'm dating myself here, but <laughs> it was definitely more than 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, I went to high tech high And a school like High Tech High, you would think like all the teachers need to have a PhD in educational technology, and they don't. They really, when they bring teachers on, they ask them, are you willing to learn from kids? And I think this is where if we're learning with kids about AI and about technology, that's really a huge, huge piece of the puzzle because we cannot stay ahead of it. Mm -hmm. And so if we can be learning with, I think that's absolutely the best approach. I agree. And what I would like to kind of pick your brain a little bit about as we're wrapping up here is uh, just to kind of give people listening a a fuller, whether they know you a tiny bit or they know you very well, I'm sure there'll be a wide spectrum, just to give people a little bit of a insight into what it is that that you consume um, that goes in and out of your brain on a regular basis. Um, I'm wondering if you could share anything that you are currently reading or um, listening to or watching. Any combination of those would be really cool to kind of see what it is that you surround yourself with. Okay, sure. Happy to. So the book I'm currently reading is Bittersweet, How mm-hmm. Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole by Susan Cain. Oh, nice. Is that new? Um, new Susan Cain? I don't know that one. It is after. It's one of her newer ones. I okay. think it's actually probably her more recent one. Okay. But she has a few and I'm, mm-hmm. so I don't want to speak I love her, her. But yeah. So I really wanted to read this book because I am someone who has a set point of happiness that's, at least in this season of my life, pretty high. Mm-hmm. And I don't want people to think that I'm saying we should be happy all the time. I do believe that it's part of the full human experience mm-hmm. to have all the emotions, not just the ones that we find the most desirable. And so I really wanted to lean into that. It's been really, really interesting. I I love that book. And so that's a great one. I'm listening to endless amounts of podcasts and I have too many podcaster <laughs> friends too. to name any of the education <laughs> ones. I am a huge fan of your show, Sarah, and your recent episode on the scope creep is fascinating. Yes, I could have actually just talked came to you about today. that forever. I already listened to it because <laughs> I'm a listener of the show, Great. but I want to give a shout out to Armchair Expert, which is Dax Shepard's yes, podcast. Love, love. Yeah. Love, love, love. He is so amazing. He's very humble as a host. I really love that about him. I also really love the guests that he gets, and he is mm-hmm. able to pull big names. So that's really fun. He's, there's certain people that if you're interested in recording or audio or con- how people structure conversations and form bonds with people, he's such a good interviewer in a way that is doesn't feel like an interview. He's one of those models for that. It's just wonderful. I would love to know what ends up on the editing room floor of that one because that's long form, long form, and it's cut down to like a couple hours. Yeah. And then the other, the other podcast, I listened to the happiness lab with. I I used to listen to that. I haven't in so long. I love when people come on that know podcast language and we can kind of geek out for a second. (laughs) I will tell you, Lori Santos is so good at articulating things that I 
want to be able to articulate better that I go seek her out on other podcasts, not just the happiness lab. I go find where she's been a guest on other podcasts because it's really, really fascinating. And I also do the same. He doesn't have his own podcast, but for Mark Brackett, I do the same for him. That's, uh, that's really cool. I'm glad to see that you're, you're right there in the podcast realm with me. (laughs) I have a guilty pleasure if you want to know what I'm watching. Oh yes. We love those on here. (laughs) (laughs) I am hesitant to share this because there are going to be people who I roll who are going to be like throwing shade, but I am just going to say that Hallmark movies oh, are big fan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Good. So I have to say the wholesome and predictability of it is beautiful. When a movie is titled A Lifelong Love, you know where it's going. Oh, and you don't I'm need on. You don't even need that. a description. You need no other information. Oh, I'm, it's just I'm all in. Okay, I'm glad. I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah, I love how you were so hesitant to say it. We've had people talk about Real Housewives on here. I love when people bring up a guilty pleasure because it's another facet of your personality to go with. I have a tattoo on my arm of Walt Whitman quote of "I contain multitudes," um, and so I love. I love uh, always seeing people's uh, multitudinous realities, I think is what we would say. (laughs) Um, Awesome. And so last thing I'm going to ask is a question. Now I feel like I haven't done a a full interview in a few weeks, so I haven't asked this to anybody in a while, but is there a method of attention or like practicing focusing or being present? um, Any any way you want to take that, something that you do or you recognize in yourself that you would recommend people try? or that you know works? Well, so I will say, um, with an astounding amount of hubris, I, for many years, like a badge of honor, claimed to be a multitasker. And I ironically was multitasking while listening to an episode of Brene Brown's podcast, where she had Amisha Jaw on. Dr. I, Amisha I was Jaw. hoping you would bring that up. Yeah. Yep. That, that, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's, that is a great one. Peak mind, find yep. your focus, own your attention, invest 12 minutes a day. Mm-hmm. And some of the takeaways from that episode was that we can think of our attention like a flashlight and where you point your flashlight, that's going to be the brighter, more defined, that's going to be clearer. And what we think of as multitasking is actually task switching, mm-hmm. which has really bad impact on performance, precision, our emotional well-being. It takes our energy, right? To switch from task to task. So once it became (laughs) crystal clear that multitasking wasn't saving me time, it was making me less efficient, less effective, and making me tired, Tired, I was done. I was done. And so the one of the most concrete examples I can give for this is I no longer second screen. I am going to watch that Hallmark movie with my full attention because it deserves it. Yeah. Hallmark movies, they make sure there's magic in every scene. So if you're watching (sighs) a fall movie, there will be fall foliage in the background of every shot. There will be warm colors in the background of every shot. And that's why you're putting it on. You want to be pulled into that into that experience I be immersed and that's an example also going back to when we were talking about mindful eating and like it's so easy to say well i'm just having a meal it's not important i can also do this at the same time but if you do like the small things like that deciding to put that movie on just be in that movie for an hour and a half you feel like legitimately so much better about having you know because you can easily pick what we would call like a passive movie experience and do something else at the same time. Um, but it's like, why not just watch it and text your friend who doesn't live anywhere near you and talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, I will say there's a there's a little bit of a, a strategy I have where I do one thing that requires my attention and something that does not require my attention. It's temptation bundling. So it could mm. be like, reading on the treadmill or watching something while I'm on the treadmill because the treadmill doesn't require my attention. It's it's something that's right. very, very low level. I can walk and watch the movie and still fully enjoy the movie or, you know, be on social media on the treadmill or things like that. But that's not task switching because those aren't things that they don't both require my full. I do that with um, TV shows that are old that I know by heart or have seen. So like I will put I am known for all year long, um, Gilmore Girls is on a continuous loop in my 
home. So I've seen it. I know it by heart, but I, I just, it goes on when I'm cooking. So in the background, yeah. like, right, like, like I'll just have the iPad out and it's like, oh, what am I up to? Season five, episode two. And it's just, and when it finishes, maybe I stop for a month and then it starts over again. It's just always That's on, like, but I don't have to pay attention to it. They're like old, like townspeople that live in, live in my village or something. It's so weird. So I just want to add credit to Katie Milkman, author of How to Change. She is the one that introduced me to temptation bundling. And that's been the life saver of like, I'm really busy and I need to get to the, to the gym mm-hmm. so I can be on the treadmill and doing emails. So I feel like I'm being productive and I'm also getting the self-care that I need. So just wanted to give a thank you to her. Um, so one thing, and I think I forgot this the last two episodes I recorded because I got too carried away with conversation, but before we end, where can people find you? Where can they connect to you? Where do you want them to go? Everything you say will be linked in the show notes. So tell people how they can find you and talk to you. Well, thank you so much. I am excited to connect with people. You can find me. I'm basically at Lainey Rowell across the web. And I realize neither of those are easy to spell. So it's L-A-I-N. (laughs) Thank you, L-A-I-N-I-E. And I don't even know if I just spelled it correctly, Rowell like Powell. Uh, (laughs) But on the, I watch, I probably spelled my own name wrong. Anyways, Mm I, com, and I've got a link tree on my socials. And I really have been doing a ton, a ton, a ton of writing. So hopefully people are reading it, but Thrive Global and Edutopia are where most of my articles are. So, and I'm pretty sure on your out. website they can reach any of your gratitude texts as well that they can. Yes, they can get to. Um, and we will link all of that stuff in the show notes so people don't have to worry about catching spelling. Um, well, everything will be clickable and findable and contactable. Um, Lainey, thanks so much for being here. It was so awesome to finally connect with you. I feel like sometimes there are certain people I'm just like, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop until I get them on my calendar. And um, you were one of them. So thanks so much. It was so good oh. to uh, hear your voice today. Well, Sarah, I hope this is the first of many conversations because I'm honored to be here and I love listening to you on the pod. And so I'll, I'll keep tuning in. Something I'm really geeking out on these days is the connection between reflection and gratitude practice. How are they connected? What do you do to incorporate both? And do you incorporate both? And also, how do they contribute to overall educator mindfulness, health, and ability to show up for yourself each day? I hope this episode inspired you to think a bit more about these things and also to think about changes you can make to your own routines, especially now that AI is challenging our capacity to incorporate even higher order thinking into our lives and schools. Okay, I'll stop talking now, but you know what? You can let us know what you think by leaving a comment on Substack if you are a subscriber, a review in Apple Podcasts, and you can also reach me on Twitter at scandela9. Hashtag optimalist can be used when posting answers to questions that we ask here, and I'll be sure to see it. I can also be reached at Sarah with no H at getengageable.com. You can listen and subscribe to the optimalist podcast wherever you love listening to great podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday and links to all of these resources are available in the show notes. The Optimalist Podcast is brought to you by Engageable, the only app that gives you the mindful pulse you need for doing better every day. And it's free. Create an account today at getengageable.com or by downloading Engageable on any iOS or Android device. You can also follow us at Get Engageable on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening to The Optimalist, and I'll be back next week with a whole new conversation. Stay engaged until then.